Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see everybody uh, today. It's good we have visitors from our, the, the camp that is here. It's wonderful to, and for you to join us. And um, since you guys are joining us, I'll, I'll give a, a brief little kind of synopsis of what we've been talking about uh, up to this point. We are uh, delving into the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, which is not a, um, a common uh, book that you delve into too much. Uh, so we have been looking at the ideas of vanity and meaninglessness and vapor of, of life. And uh, up to this point, we have gone through a series of activities or points that, uh, the, that, that we, we experience in life. We've talked about labor and toil. We've talked about knowledge and wisdom. We've talked about uh, pleasure or entertainment. We, uh, last week, we talked about uh, riches, fame, and power, all of which are things that we uh, we tend to be a part of, we actively participate in, or at least a part of in our lives uh, as we, we go through this, and how Solomon, or uh, we typically just say, I usually just say Solomon, or, but uh, there is some debate out there as to whether Solomon actually wrote Ecclesiastes, but either Solomon or someone who is acting and writing in Solomon's name uh, basically says that all of these ideas are vanity, all of these ideas are uh, meaningless, because there is only one meaning, and that is to search for God, and everything else doesn't really change anything, and so we're going to continue that, and uh, we're going to continue that today into kind of looking at a the broader picture, uh, the broader picture of life as opposed to specific activities, and how all of these are still vanity, so we're going to kind of fill in the gaps. So I'm going to, very quickly, we're going to do a, a little bit of an exercise here, and uh, for your imagination and to help you kind of understand where we are going with this. And uh, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to just imagine a blank canvas, a just a, a blank, uh, you know, nothing on it, uh, ready to be painted on canvas. And morning. Good morning. Sorry How are you? No, you're good. Um, but uh, again, imagine a blank canvas, nothing on it whatsoever. In the middle of that canvas, I want you to imagine yourself, okay, painted in the middle of it, nothing around you, participating in one of those activities that we talked about. Again, things that we've talked about in this class so far that Ecclesiastes covers with labor or toil or knowledge and wisdom, entertainment of some type, uh, uh, riches, fame, and power, which I would be interested if you choose riches, fame, and power to imagine yourself. Uh, but, uh, the, uh, but imagine yourself kind of in the middle of that. Okay, very simple, easy, uh, easy thing to do. Now I want you to start kind of filling in the rest of the painting. Fill in all the details. What's the setting? What, what's the time of the day? What are the people around you doing? What are all the little details of life that are around you? Everything there, okay? Does everybody have a, have a picture? Picture of yourself? Suppose, you know, yeah, I get some stare at my, some of you are like, no, I don't like, I don't like staring at myself. So, um, you know, last week, uh, I don't know, Sunday, Monday, my wife asked me, what, what's this week's class going to be about? And I told her, this week's class is about evil, injustice, and death. <laughs> so she said, so you're taking an already depressing class and making it more depressing. Um, and uh, which, basically, yes, that's, that's kind of what we're doing. But, you know, I'm assuming that the painting, the picture that you have in your head is not... Uh, a, an evil, bad, dark place. It's probably a good picture. You probably have a relatively pleasant, peaceful uh, painting of yourself, a thought, you know, doing something that you uh, enjoy or, or something that is a passion for you. But we all know that that's not the way the world normally looks. 
We do, it's, the world around us is not normally a you know, nice, pretty picture that is just us doing our job, and, and that's about it. Uh, in uh, Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, I have seen under the sun that in the place of justice there is wickedness, and in the place of righteousness there is wickedness. As uh, chapter 3 and verse 16, and as I, I've already stated, everything up to this point, everything we've talked about at this point, has been individual activities for you, individual activities that you are participating in, that you are involved in. And, uh, and so now, we're going to kind of go back and, and fill in a lot of the pieces, because Ecclesiastes makes it clear that there is a lot more to life than just what we do. These are things that we can't control. These are things that are parts of the background or sometimes the foreground of our lives and, and things that make up the world around us. And these are also meaningless. They're also vanity and striving after wind. Not because we pursue them, not because we're actively trying to do these things, but because they can cause us to lose focus on what we're doing and what is important and what we're supposed to be doing with the world around us, is supposed to be looking for truth in God. These are the evils of the world. These are the injustices that we often seem, that often seem so unfair. These are the untimely deaths of friends or loved ones. These are the things that make life difficult. The life around us. Uh, uh, for those of you that are busy with this, if you, uh, we, a lot of this uh, class is coming out of a book by um, Coy Roper. Uh, who is, um, uh, he wrote a book uh, called Ecclesiastes, a document designed to disturb. And so that's kind of where some of the quotes that I'm going to use are coming out of that. But he says, and where evil abounds and injustice, uh, injustice prevails, life, even for those who are not evil and not purposely unfair, seems futile, meaningless, and vain. You know, I understand th this isn't a pleasant topic. Uh, this is not the thing a lot of people like to come into a Sunday morning and and think, you know, oh, we got to talk about, you know, these, how hard life is around us. But it's, we need to look at it like this. We have to be prepared. Okay? Satan and the world are going to throw everything they can at us. And we have to spend time in a difficult book, in a difficult discussion with difficult subjects, in order to help us better prepare so we can have a clear path to Christ. That's that's the important thing. And so we want to make sure that we are studying these things. So um, and so that's that's what we're going to do. Um, the uh, you know good people seek to live in a good world, right? You know, good people seek to live in a in a good world. And we want to live in a world where most everybody is good. We want to live in a world where, where good and evil are easily identifiable. It's easy to, to dis distinguish which one is which. Uh, we live in a world where evils are punished and, and good is rewarded. You know, but the problem is that a world opposite that, which is what we often see, can be a, a strange and uncomfortable thing at best. It's, it's just flat out scary at worst. It's a, it's a world that is difficult to, to understand, and if you're observing a world like that, that is, that is scary and unnerving, it can cause a lot of people to say, life is meaningless up front, that they don't even attempt to pursue God, they don't even attempt to pursue who he is and the truth that he offers because of the injustice and of the, the terrifying idea of the world around us. 
And I believe this is probably one of the single most issues, single most common issue we deal with when you're trying to talk to people about Christ is because they see this world around them and they can't understand why that looks that way. How could God do that? And, you know, I believe this is a, a, a very important factor that needs to be addressed uh, in ourselves before we actually go out and start talking to people around us, because that way we can help them to understand the, what's the hope and the future of the future that's there. Um, I, I need to take a step back real quick. I think it's important that we restate a, a very important historical fact uh, that, that kind of goes along with this. And this is something I've stated multiple times in classes that I've taught and just in conversation. I think it's important that we go back to this very quickly. The world, since the fall, since the fall of man, has always had evil, has always had injustice, and has always had death. Those things have always been there since the fall of man. We, too often, we like to look around at the world today and throw out that very common statement, well, it didn't used to be like this. Yes, it did. Okay? Yes, it did. It's always been like this. The difference is, is that not that evil and justice have not, it's like what's well, a new thing. It is not. It's always been there. The difference is, is individual perception. It's how we perceive things, how we look at things. You know, we're not here to discuss, you know, all those points and those ideas, but I do want to make one statement that goes along with this that kind of help you understand that. Ecclesiastes was written well over 2,000 years ago, and it basically says the evil, injustice, and death have always been here. It was a long time ago, so it has not changed ever since then. If you want to look back, well, you know, 10 years ago, it wasn't 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, whatever. It wasn't like that. Unfortunately, though, the Scripture disagrees with you. It was. It was like that. And this is a foundational truth of Ecclesiastes. This is what a lot of what Solomon talks about in this book is that teach, life teaches us about reality. It, it, wisdom is what gives us the ability to see and understand and to be able to uh, decipher what is evil, what is injustice. And, and so the older you get, the wiser you get, the more you see it. And, uh, and it, it becomes difficult, for sure, uh, but that is, that is reality that uh, Ecclesiastes teaches us. In Solomon chapter 3, uh, in 12 and 13, Solomon says this, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Okay, that's live life to the fullest, do the best you can because you know you trust God, you trust in his plan, you trust in his goodness, you know that's there. Okay, that's verse, that's 12 and 13, chapter 3. Three verses later, he goes down a very dark path, very dark path, right after that. We're going to spend some time in chapter 3, verse 16, going up through the first part of chapter 4. And uh, it, he concludes, and just to kind of summarize this, and we're going to look at it a little more in detail in a second, but he basically concludes, just a few verses later, that the dead are better off than the living, and the most fortunate of all are those who were never born. So, you know, we know later, we know later as we go through Ecclesiastes that this is not a consistent view of Solomon's. He has a lot more to say on the subject, 
But the question is, is what would cause him to go from trusting God and everybody, he just, just lived a life to the fullest, just trusting God and everything will be okay, to it was almost better off if he'd never been born. That's a pretty stark change in, in his viewpoint. Uh, and I'll bring this up a little bit later. One of the authors that I was reading said that this was Solomon's cynicism. So that was a, a pretty good uh, definition for that. But basically what we're looking at is, is this is the, the idea of this class. It's evil and justice and, and death are what caused him to go down this path. And so we're going to spend some time looking at just a few points on each one of these. We're going to spend a lot of time on all of them. And uh, just to kind of bring out some reasons. And again, remember, the whole, really the premise to this class today is for us to be able to understand what a lot of people out there are going to see and experience and how we need to bring truth to them based on what they are seeing and not just, uh, and not just saying, well, you know, it used to be better. Okay, so... Um, first of all, probably the most uh, important piece to all this, the most important thing to, to look at, the most important concept is very simple, that uh, people are sinful. We, we know that. And uh, as, as Solomon looked around, that's exactly what he concluded. Uh, he said, see this alone I have found, that God made man upright, but they sought out many schemes. That's chapter 7, uh, verse 29. Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. That's chapter 9 and verse 3. If you look back at chapter 3, if you, if you turn there, if you're looking at that, uh, we go back to this verse that we kind of open with where he talks about that in uh, places of justice there's wickedness, in places of righteousness there's wickedness. Uh, he, he makes it clear that even, I mean, righteousness, where basically that's another way of saying the church, that there is wickedness can be found just about anywhere. And he, he reminds us, again, looking at verse seven or chapter 7, verse 29, we already talked about, he basically says that man started out sinless, but man eventually, man fell, and every human since then has followed in the footsteps. That we've all been that. We, we know that, and that is not an uncommon uh, understanding. And so, uh, but this is a, a foundational truth for not only Solomon's thoughts, but a foundational truth for Christ's salvation. It's why Christ came to earth, because we all sin, and we needed that, needed that for sure. But we can see a, an example of this evil, the sin that is out there. We say evil a lot, the Ecclesiastes uses evil, you could, easily, you could very easily replace that with just sin. But one of the things that uh, we definitely can, can, a manifestation of that is that, uh, is oppression. Uh, people are oppressed, the poor are oppressed. Uh, there's a, uh, that is a very common thing in our world, unfortunately. It can be manifest in a thousand different ways. Uh, oppression can. Uh, in chapter 5, verse 8, uh, he says, If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. It's going to happen. It's there. It just takes place. Don't be amazed. We know it's there. If you, uh, again, if you're in chapter 3 and 4, the very beginning of chapter 4, he, he goes on and he talks a lot there, and I'm going to read through it, but he goes on and talks a lot there about how oppressions that are done under the sun, and, beha and behold, the tears of the oppressed, there's no one to comfort them. And this is where he goes on to say that I thought the dead are already dead and more fortunate than the living who are still alive, and goes on to say that those had not been born yet, because they didn't have to see the evil deeds that this world produces. 
They don't have to see them. They don't have to be a part of them. You know, it can be difficult to read verses like this, especially the last few. That's a hard one. I mean, I, we don't like to think about things when they get so bad that it's almost better that you were never born. Unfortunately, though, this is a common occurrence in the world. Uh, is, uh, for those of you who are visiting, I'm a, I'm a history teacher and, uh, and, and in a lot of respects, and so I could spend hours up here talking about major events to very small events of oppression. That is not hard to find. And not hard to find. And it, it happens all the time. And it, it's, it's, a, it's a manifestation of sin that is something that we, we have to be able to address ourselves in order to be able to show others that there is something better, that we, you can find meaning, but it's not here, that it's in God. Um, even things that are, um, well, actually, before I say that, let me ask you this uh, question. What is the single most common event type, okay? Single most common event type that leads to inventions. What's the single most common event type? Is it war? War? Look at that. You get a gold star. 100%. Have you ever heard the, the phrase, necessity is the mother of all invention? The single most common event that leads to inventions is war. Okay, war. Uh, anybody know any? Like, they may know any modern inventions that would, would have come out of war. Uh, canned food. Canned food. But ironically, they invented before they invented the can opener. <laughs> like, and not by like a couple months. We're talking like decades. <laughs> so, just to name a few um, portable communication, everything from walkie talkie to the cell phone, duct tape. Learned that one last night. I didn't know that. Duct tape was actually invented uh, in, in war. Nuclear technology, jet engine, digital photography, pretty much anything involving computers, internet in particular, super glue, the microwave oven, the zipper. Okay? Uh, these are all things that came out of war. Pretty much anything disposable, anything small and convenient, or something that comes out of war. Uh, uh, disposable razors came out of war. These were companies that were asked to produce something that could be easily distributed to lots of soldiers all over the world. And whenever the war was over, they had tons of this stuff. They're like, I got an idea. Let's package it up and sell it on the shelves. That's what they did. And that's exactly what, uh, exactly what happened. History is full of the ideas of the give and take, the necessity versus invention. Uh, one of the most famous ones in history uh, for a very long period of time would be the differences between weaponry and defense. Right? Weapons get better, defense gets better. Weapons get better, defense gets better. Uh, the gun versus armor. If you ever go to Europe and you see European armor and you see one that has a big dent in it, that doesn't mean that it's like, well, uh -oh, somebody dropped that one. Okay, first of all, if your armor dented when you dropped it, you have a whole lot of other issues. But if you, but it has a dent in it, that's a proof mark. After the gun was invented, literally, they would not buy the armor unless somebody had set up against the wall and they shot it with a gun. If it just dented it, that's good armor because it stopped a bullet. All right, and they would buy that. And so that was that's where they came from. Eventually, the gun takes over the armor, and, and after that, they start looking for new things, a whole big history and story of, of weapons and tactics and war. But the point is that it's a give or take. One of the more dark sides of this, you know, we're staying in a very, you know, depressing 
state this morning, so might as well keep going with that. Uh, probably one of the more depressing sides of, uh, if you can get more depressing sides of the Holocaust, would be uh, human experiments. After the Holocaust is over, World War II ended, they're on the Nuremberg trials, and they're trying all of these war criminals. The Nazis had mountains of research and documentation from human experiments. They did not look at that and go, I don't want to touch that. Oh, no, no, no. Scientists and medical professionals around the world grabbed that stuff and studied it like it was no tomorrow. Okay? That's hard to think. It's hard to realize that this is what Solomon says. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This is also vanity and striving after win. Wouldn't it be nice if all of man's inventions, all of man's skills and talents were used for good? Wouldn't it be nice? Unfortunately, though, that's not what happens. We put down our neighbors. We shame others. We, we tend to try to get the best of our, of our community. And I, I say we. I use that as a, obviously as a broad sense. But the, the idea is that uh, good things are often a result of sin. It's not unusual. And uh, that's, a, that's a hard thing to do. Think about technology today. Technology, the technology we use to be able to put Bibles on recording devices and on different things we can send around the world so people can hear the word for the first time ever is technology that came out of war. Okay? It's, it's hard to think that. But unfortunately, that's the world that sin has corrupted. You know, uh, recently I've been watching videos. I've been watching a series of, uh, of um, people debating, Christians debating different groups. Uh, everything from like Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, uh, atheists, uh, you know, just different groups. And they're, they're basically defending. These are formal debates. They're actually going back and defending their different opinions. Very interesting. And uh, I watched one, and I've seen this before, but it just always intrigues me. The, the Christians got up in their first opening statements, and they basically made a statement that I thought was, a, it was very clever. And they said that basically they got up and said, we've already won. The, and, and everybody just kind of laughs and they said, no, we've already won because they even showed up, talking about two atheists that were there, and said they, they, because they showed up. And as they go on to, uh, to talk about their point of contention, they basically said that all logic, all moral, and all ethics has to come from a higher power. It has to. It can't just evolve out of nothing. It has to come from something. So the fact that they were even there to debate anything that involved logic, morals, and ethics meant that they agreed with it. And they had already won. That was an interesting point. Now, the atheists did not agree with that. But uh, the point was, it, it was, it's everything, our ideas of morals and logic and ethics come from a higher power. It comes from, it comes from God. And this is a point that, you can, that Solomon brings out. And he says, all this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. You know, people are supposed to be better than the animal kingdom, right? We're supposed to be better. It's written on our hearts. The law is written on our hearts. We are supposed to be better than the rest of the world, but so much of the world doesn't agree with that. And it is a shame to hear when one person is taking advantage of another, they hurt them, and worse yet is whenever they get away with it. It's, it's probably the single most common story. Since uh, we started host here, since I started my job, it's, it's probably the single most common thread that you hear of people taking advantage of someone else and often getting away with it. 
you know, and that that's the good lead into the, the ideas of injustice. Um, as I said before, uh, an author called this uh, Solomon's cynicism. Uh, this author said this, Solomon recognized that life can be grossly unfair, and in this very situations and places where justice ought to be served, exactly the opposite frequently happens. We, we live in a world of injustice. Solomon says this, Then I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those who have with knowledge, but time and change will happen to, happen to them all. Injustice, we, we like to call it unfairness. It's unfair. Uh, that's typically what we the words we use. It, it can be a difficult concept to wrestle with. Um, this is There's dozens of stories, lots of analogies. We could spend hours of classes on just going over this concept, which we don't have time to do. But the simple point is this. The idea of unfairness to, is where a lot of people go to justify their views of God, of church, and of you. That, that's where a lot of people go. And, and it's important for us, as I said before, it's important for us to understand that. Uh, because these views can cause people to believe that all life is meaningless. Which we agree with, but we agree that all life is meaningless because we have a focus on God. And that's where the meaning is. But they don't even search for that. Because they believe everything, that just everything is meaningless. There's no, everything is vanity. There's no point at all. <laughs> You know, we, and another point too, and this one is another one that is difficult, um, you know, because all the other ones have been so easy to, to talk about. Um, the, uh, we, we know that all good deeds should be done for the glory of God, right? We all know that. However, it doesn't mean that it's easy whenever you're never acknowledged and you're never remembered. Okay? It's, that doesn't make it easy. Uh, chapter 9 and verse 13 through 16, which we don't have time to read, but there's a story there of uh, the poor wise man who comes out and delivers his city from the great king who comes and lays siege and attempts to take over the city. And he, he, and, and he defends them using his wisdom and saves the city. The hardest part about the story, though, is at the end of verse 15 when it says, yet no one remembered that poor man. That can be very hard. And you, you think about it, I mean, I, I, probably everybody in here could, could tell a story or multiples of things like that happening. Yes, we all know, well, I'm doing this for the glory of God, and that's right, and we should. But it doesn't mean that it's easy whenever you never, you're never remembered, you never get any kind of acknowledgement. And again, we think about this, and if you're looking at the world, that can be a really difficult thing for them. Because think about our world today. It's all about likes, right? It's all about acknowledgement. Well, now we're asking them to come into the church and to do good things for other people and to do it totally for the glory of God without expectation of acknowledgement. That's a really hard thing for people to swallow, especially in the way our technology is set up today. And, uh, and this can be something that even Christians suffer with. I think all of us struggle with that uh, to some extent. And a continuation of this, uh, in chapter 7, verse 15, he says, In my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. He goes on to say in the next chapter, There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that all of this is vanity. 
you know, righteous should be rewarded and wicked should be punished, right? That's, that's the natural order of things. And, you know, yes, we all know that rewards and punishments will be given at the judgment, but that doesn't make it easy today. We still live in this world under the sun, and that doesn't make it easy whenever that doesn't happen. It's important, though, to remember this, and this is the, the overall arching idea of evil and injustice. Ecclesiastes presents a life under the sun, life on earth as it is, not as it ought to be. You know, it's and not life beyond the grave. We're talking about life here as it ought to be, not as it is. And this is exactly what Solomon is talking about. It's exactly the idea that he is getting at, and this is exactly the idea that makes it difficult for us, and why he, he says over and over again that this is that life is vain. Um, it's important for us, again, to look at these concepts because it helps us to remember why so many people in the world struggle with this and why so many struggle with God, with the church, and with us. Uh, it's, it's important. And our job, our job, is to remind them that our, and ourselves and each other that we have a hope that is anchored in heaven and not here on earth that we can look to after this world, that there is something that is there. If you would like to flip over, we're going to spend just a little bit of time uh, and uh, as we finish out here in chapter 12. If you would like to flip over there, this is chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Uh, this is where Solomon is going to talk about death. One thing that we know is that old age and death is inevitable. Uh, the decline in physical and mental vigor is, is expressed here in chapter 12, these first eight verses. You know, we don't have time to read through all this, but we're, we're going to kind of go pull some points out of this. So if you want to follow along, it might help. Uh, but the central, the main purpose, the central passage here is the very first verse in chapter 12, where he does say, Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Now, understand this. When he says evil days, he's not talking about uh, the, the idea of um, like more moral evil or ethical evils or sin. We're just talking about difficult days. We're talking about as you get older, as time, things get more difficult, everything from understanding the world better, the wisdom, you can see that injustice and sin more. And just on a physical level, things just get more difficult as you move forward. Um, he is saying, and if, if, if you don't respond to God, whenever, before you get older, you may never do so. In fact, it may be very difficult to do so. Um, in verses 2 through 5, and we're not going to go through and read these, but there's a series of kind of figurative descriptions there where he goes through and describes things. Now, there, if you read older commentaries uh, on this or older lessons, I mean, you might, maybe some of you have heard this or maybe you, you believe this or agree with this. Um, there, there's kind of two schools of thought as to what these, these, these lessons are, these little figurative things. A lot of people think that they, they represent parts of the body. Um, it talks about grinders and like teeth. I, I challenge how many younger people in here have ever heard the term grinders, meaning teeth. That is a very 19th and a 20, early 20th century term. Um, but uh, anyways, uh, but uh, the, the more modern, the more, I say more modern, more, a, a, a more accepted view today, and again, I don't think it matters one way or the other, but more accepted view today is that these are really more like a series of vignettes, like a little series of illustrations. 
that talk about um, they talk about like different scenes. Uh, for example, in verse three and four, it's a, this is a once busy estate, like a once busy uh, kind of a place where work was happening and, and everything is really you know very energetic and lots of things going and they're working hard and they're getting things done, but now things have just kind of slowed down. Things are just not really as, as active anymore. Things are getting a little worn down, and, and that's it's really more of that. Um, but after he finishes this series of, of vignettes, he goes on to, uh, he talks about the, um, the, basically describing death. He says, man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. He talks about the, the life as they describe as a golden bowl suspended by a silver thread or cord, and, you know, and eventually the cord snaps. Uh, he talks about uh, the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. And apparently, uh, and then appropriately, I'm sorry, uh, Solomon ends with vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Uh, talking about just the human life under the sun here on earth. And, you know, again, all of this description be, can be somewhat depressing uh, as we go through this. You know, but uh, as we, we go through these ideas, especially looking at how life just gets slower and more difficult as we move on. But the purpose here is not to describe, it's not to, you know, tell younger people, it's like, ah, you look what you get to look forward to. Or the, you know, the older, or reminding the older generations of, who are like, yeah, yeah, I know, I yeah, thank you, I'm here. Um, that's not the point. His point is this. His point is to drive to action. To drive us to action. Everybody to action. Remembering God does not mean simply to think about him, but to allow him to shape us, to allow him to shape who we are, what we do, preferably before old age sets in. You know, youth is a very crucial period in determining the rest of the course of your life. You know, we habits are built, good or bad. And, you know, the, these are uh, the way we do things, the way we think of things, the way we see things. These are, these are all built whenever you're young. And, if you, and so if you do that in the church, in Christ, in God, it makes it a whole lot easier as you get older down the road. Think about everything we've talked about today. Think about the evils and injustices of this world. Right? I'm not going to rise for a raise of hand, show of hands, but I mean, each one of you have a personal experience of when did you come to Christ? When did you come to God? Was it whenever you were little and you got to spend your whole life through that way? Or was it whenever you were older and you understand maybe this premise a little better to understand, yeah, it's been hard because I didn't grow up like that. You know, I, I have a, a kind of a unique, not bad, I would say unique, it's not unique at all, but it's a, I have an experience that kind of hits both sides of that. Uh, I grew up in a family with a church. Uh, my dad was an elder and, and, and grew up in that kind of thing. But like a lot of people, especially in my generation, like a lot of people, faithful was not really a common terminology for me uh, for the, you know, number of years after college. So I know now there is a couple of things that I've told people and a couple of things that I, I highly, highly, highly regret. And this is what I usually like to tell younger people who are thinking that maybe this isn't for me. My, my dad passed away in October of 2012, a couple months months before Addie was born. And if there is one thing that I regret more than anything else, like I said, my dad was an elder, very, very knowledgeable, that I never got to spend time on the phone with him talking about God. Now, don't get me wrong, I grew up in the church, I grew up with him, I grew up, 
but never in this setting as an adult, as a father, as never got to do that. That was my fault. I also lost out on years of study. And we were, my wife and I were talking about this yesterday. I am now trying to supercharge myself into getting back into where I should be at this point in my life. And that's a, that's something that you, is important for all of us to remember. No matter where your life is, no matter what you've been done. See, why, and this is a quote from some, one of the authors said, why deprive yourself of the joy for which you were created? To know God and to have all peace and security in his presence. If you've already passed your youth, if you've already, you've already moved on past that, this is what I want you to hear. It is now your responsibility. Now I'm going to repeat that. It is your responsibility. Responsibility. To now go back and educate. To go back and to encourage the youth what God can offer. You have years of experience you can use your wisdom to show them this is what my life has looked like because of the choices I made when I was younger. So encourage them. It's not just a, that'd be really nice if you did it. It's your job. It's your responsibility to do that. Remember whenever I said that uh, I'll always stand by the fact that uh, the, the fact the phrase it didn't used to be that way is wrong, that that's not a good way of looking at things. This is why, and this is what I want you to think about. If you're a younger, and this, I'm kind of talking to the older individuals here. If you are, think about this. If you're younger, and every time somebody talks to you about the world, and all you hear are Christians saying, well, you know, the world used to be a lot better. What you're telling them is, it was great until you got here. <laughs> If our responsibility is to encourage them, God does not change. His message does not change. He was this, The same thing was happening 2,000 years ago. It's better to, instead of saying, well, it didn't used to be that way, it's better to say, there's nothing new under the sun. Yes? I was just going to say, we've talked a lot about evangelism last year and talked a lot about how the most effective evangelism it comes from relationships with people and in what you're saying that it's our responsibility to teach <laughs> um, it's going to be best coming from when you have a relationship with them so you have to spend time with them you can't be just like one Sunday morning you haven't said anything to the youth group all year and it's like oh okay <laughs> I wanted to tell you you know Spend time with them, invite them to your home, encourage them that way, and build those relationships with them. Yep. And it's, if you want to throw a teenager, especially for a loop, is come up and start telling them about yourself. Talk to them, get to know them. Tell them about it yourself, because you'd be surprised how often your story, even though it might have been from, you know, fill in the blank years ago, how, you, how much your story is very similar to their story. We like to think that it's like, well, but they just live in a different world. No, they don't. They live on the same planet in the same world with the same sin and the same God. Okay? And so get to know them. That's a, very, that's a wonderful point. Get to know them. Get to know who they are. And you'd be surprised how often your stories are very similar to their stories. And you can explain to them what you have learned and what you've experienced. You know, there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee in life as to when your life 
will, will end. There's no guarantee as to what that will look like. Uh, Hebrews 9 and 27 says this, we, uh, that, uh, that and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. New Testament says over and over and over and over again, you have to be ready all the time. You never know. You know, how we live our lives, how our lives end, and when I say how our lives end, it doesn't mean that we, we can control how we pass away, but we can control what are we are doing and what our life looks like when that happens. If you're ready all the time, you can control that. How we spend eternity is up to each of us based on how we end our lives. Uh, and to quote an author who said, Jesus came in order to give us a choice between a full life that is eternal and a life devoid of spiritual blessings. And I want to leave you, I want to leave you with this. The fact that evil and injustice and death have been around since the beginning, since the fall, can actually be very comforting. Like that's how in the world is that comforting. Think about this. We can have comfort in knowing that Scripture is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. Has not changed. That thousands, millions even, have gone through hardships, have gone through the same evil, the same injustice, that seemed so hopeless, but they were able to turn to the same God and the same Scripture as we can. Nothing has changed in that respect. We can be at peace knowing that many have gone before us, but God's promise has not and will not change. And this is the message that we can spread to those around us. Yes, the world may seem like, but not to worry, because God doesn't change. The message doesn't change. His promise doesn't change. Christ doesn't change. It will always, always be here. So, I uh, appreciate your thoughts. I apologize for not being as, a little more interactive on this one, but uh, I, I appreciate it. Thank you for the visitors. That's, I always want to hope you guys have a wonderful week. So, Can I make a brief announcement? Please. Uh, I'm Brett Moore. I, some of y'all probably seen me around the last few weeks quite a bit, but I'm the director of the camp that starts today, and I just wanted you to know we, we set some schedules out uh, here and up front by the office. Uh, what you're talking about, brother, in the, in the class about working with young men is exactly what we're doing. It's not just young men, but also older men uh, interacting, spending time together. Uh, it's called ministry camp, but it's, it's, not, it's not a preacher's camp. It's just about how to find your talents and uh, use those for the Lord better. It fits in with the evangelism you all have been talking about. And we just wanted you all to know we appreciate so much you allowing us to, to use the building, the facilities here. But the, the camp is not just, we would, look, we would love to, for y'all to come and, and take part in the camp. If you want to look at the, the, the schedule, the things that are outlined, highlighted in yellow, are the things that are open to, to the public. We'd love for you to come and, and share with us. We've got some great speakers coming, and it's going to be a, a really good week. So we'd love to, to invite y'all to come and, and share time with us. If you want to look at some of those, Tuesday is... I think the only day that we're going to be gone some, that we don't have anything really for that's, that's open to everybody, but we'd, we'd love to have you. But thanks again for, for allowing us to have the camp here. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate yes. it.